What's going on everybody? My name is Tristan and you're about to watch the Bethel Moments podcast. But before we get into this, make sure you subscribe, comment, and share. What's up everybody? Welcome to episode 15 of the Bethel Moments podcast. I'm so happy you guys joined us today. Today, I have my friend, Pastor Pep Roby, a minister at Belong Church in the Central Coast. He's an amazing man of God. He was there at my first baptism when I was younger and he Oh my gosh, this man is amazing. He loves my family. My family loves him so much. And my aunt, my parents, everybody was like, you have to get Pastor Pep on to talk about agape in the kingdom. It's amazing. So I want to get into this because he has a word for you guys that's going to change your life. So Pastor Pep Roby, welcome. Hey, hey, thank you, brother. Man, it is so good to be here. I've just been asking the Lord this week. Um, and since uh, Tristan asked me to do this, I've been asking the Lord to not give me stuff, but actually, uh, and this big old thing he calls agape, what does he have today for his family? And so um, I think that um, we're going to have some fun. I have a, a number of scriptures I'm just going to refer to. I'd encourage you to get a piece of paper and a pen, and you could jot down the addresses of them. And um, af as we go, and at the end, if you need some reference, I'm sure we can get that to you through, through Tristan. So I'm just going to jump right in. The title of this is Agape in the Kingdom. And I'm really trying to focus this on the on the idea of what agape means in context to Jesus of Nazareth and the kingdom in which we live in and, and the power of this, this um, um, element of God's kingdom. Um, this came to me last night, and um, it's just I want to start with this because I hadn't thought of this in this type of um, way. Jesus is an alien. <laughs> He's from another place. He said that. He said, this is not my home. If it was my home, my people would rise up and try to, you know, keep me from being taken. But he's from a different place. And in that place, he's come here and he's brought um, the context of his kingdom to us. And there are six elements that he brought from his kingdom that don't exist here. Kind of like kryptonite, you know, for Superman. That That's a substance on this earth that didn't come from this earth. It's from another planet. And there, there are three foundational kingdom uh, um, pillars that he said the kingdom is built on. And he said the kingdom is not eating or drinking. It's not physical. It's peace and joy and righteousness in the spirit. He said, this is what the kingdom is. The kingdom where Jesus came from, it is ruled by these three foundational principles, peace, joy, and righteousness and then there are three eternal virtues paul said that he said these three abide forever they're eternal faith hope and love but love is the greatest of all of these so if you think about those things jesus brought to earth faith from his place hope from his place and love from his place he introduced a love called agape in this earth and it didn't exist I mean, we've given it a name and it's a Greek name, but the concept of selfless love that he's talking about doesn't exist on the earth. Human love just doesn't come, doesn't meet up. Selfless love of agape versus human love. Human love at its best, if it doesn't go into agape, is strictly a high level of investment. I'm giving in, I want something back. As soon as you stop giving in, I stop giving back. Well, I loved them for a while, but then they stopped loving me. So now, now we don't. That's an investment love. That's not agape. Agape is the kind of love that says, I'm giving this no strings attached. And even if you 
slap my face or steal from me. Agape comes because it came from a different source. Now, in Hebrews 1, it says this, God at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. He has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. So in Hebrews 1, we see God saying, listen, all through the Old Testament up until now, I've spoken through prophets, I've spoken through my word, and brought you this far now. I'm speaking to you through my son, and he is the final voice because he is the invisible image of the invisible, he's the visible image of the invisible God on earth. So do you remember when he, they were on the Mount of Transfiguration? It was Peter, James, and John. He brought them with him a lot. And they're up there hanging out, and then God comes down and says, behold, this is my son. The, the disciples trip out because now here's Elijah, and here's Moses, and they're hanging out, and they're talking. And so they, as humans, we come up with our bright ideas, and we say, glad we're here because we know what to do. Let's build tabernacles for Moses, the law, for Elijah, the prophets, and for Jesus, the new. So now we've got all, everything that we want here, and God stops him, and he says, stop. I don't need your good ideas. And he stopped him, and he said, this is my son. You listen to him. Everything buckles under Jesus. In Revelation 19.10, it says this. It's not on the, the note, sorry. It says this. It says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the foundation of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the essence of all prophecy. Everything prophetic, every word from God to earth, that it says G, the testimony of Jesus is this. What is the testimony of Jesus? It's everything he did and everything he said. So here's the cool thing about that. If you know everything Jesus did and everything he said, you now have a plumb line to judge every prophetic word by. If it's not congruent with Jesus, what he said and what he did, you have every reason and responsibility to question the source of that prophetic word. Throughout the scriptures, you hear God say, people are saying, thus saith the Lord, but I haven't spoken my mouth. So the point of that is, is Jesus has come to define the kingdom. Everything in the old must come through him and everything in the new must be congruent to him. When we read a scripture, if it's not congruent to Jesus, what he said and what he did, we're reading it wrong. Amen. If I came to you and I said, hey, that woman over there is a sinner and Jesus said we should go stone her. Well, you would say, no, that's incongruent to the life and the testimony of Jesus. You're listening to a lie. So in Colossians 1, it says this, 1, 12 through 14, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And now listen to this, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through blood and forgiveness. God the Father labeled this kingdom that he gave to his Son called the kingdom of the Son of my love. Isn't that beautiful? So this kingdom now we get to come in is, is Jesus's kingdom. It's a kingdom that God the Father had bestowed. It's a kingdom that he's come in and he's bought with his own blood. And he's saying, I've come into this earth, this boot camp training to learn how to live in my, my planet, in my country. And now when you learn what I have and you learn how I walk and you learn what agape is, when you come to my home, you fit right in because the least in my kingdom walks in this way. 
when Jesus came to the earth, he wasn't saying, look at what I'm doing on this earth. Now the earth is going to change and be like me. No, that's not true. You read Revelation, the earth is going to burn. In fact, if you read what he said about the earth, it's going to get worse and worse and governments will rise up and the love of many will grow cold and there will be wars and rumors and famines and earthquakes and all of these things. But the end, and that means those are signs of the end. He's coming to take us. Didn't he say that? I go to prepare a place and when I'll come and where I am, you will be. We're going to be in a whole different place. So when he came, he said, look, I'm an ambassador from my home in heaven. And I'm going to show you what it looks like in my kingdom. In my kingdom, sickness doesn't exist. Watch, boom, boom, boom. In my kingdom, brokenness doesn't exist. And he walked and demonstrated and he said, when you do this, if you are in me, you will do this as well. And the whole point was, he's not come to change the earth to be like his. If he did, he would have done that. Remember when he was before Pilate and Pilate said to him, so you're a king? He said, I'm a king, but I'm not from this place. If he wanted to, he could have said, yep, boom, rulers out, establish the kingdom on earth. And we could, you know, all the zealots, the Christian zealots would rise up and say, finally, we can take the government and we can rule. That's not his plan. In fact, he only spent three years really here, grew up. And then his three years, he said, you know, there's nothing on this earth of value compared to where I've been. If you think about that, he created the earth in six days. Everything we think is valuable, everything we think is worth fighting for, everything thing we think that makes us something, six days. And then he said, hey, I'm gone to prepare a place. And he's been doing that for 2,000 years. He's got incredible things in his kingdom for us. He's just telling us now, if you want to learn how to live in my kingdom to come, you have to learn now. You see, in the, in the world, the world system says, if you want to be a part of our world, if you think about a gang, if you want to be jumped into the gang, to a gang in this world, you take someone's life. That's the extreme, but that's the reality of it. In a lot of the gangs, you want to be a part of our gang, you take someone's life. In his kingdom, you want to be a part of that, you give your own life. The entry point into his kingdom is a mentality that says, I have no want because he supplies everything. I don't need what you have because he supplies I'm not envious of you because he's made me who I am. I've just come to give my life away. Imagine a world of people where that's their mentality. That's the kingdom of heaven. And he said, watch me, I'm gonna demonstrate. Now, Jesus made very, a lot of mention about this kingdom in Matthew 9, 35. He said, he went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing. Jesus himself is the kingdom. He didn't preach the gospel of salvation. That was within the, the gospel of the kingdom. It's one aspect. In fact, Paul, I think in his writings, he said, I, have, I know better things for you, things that are, better things that accompany your salvation. So it's not just the by and by in the sky of his kingdom. He's come to deliver something to us even now. He came to offer us the kingdom. He said, it's my father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So he came to offer it. Oh, and here it is in John 18, 37. Pilate therefore said, are you a king? And Jesus said, you rightly say I am a king for this cause I was born and for this cause I came into the world. He's an alien who came from another world that I should bear witness to the truth. And everyone who hears the truth Here's my voice. So he's likening now. I'm coming to show you the kingdom and I'm going to give you the truth. Not facade, not 
any jive, not well, bells and whistles. I'm going to give you the truth of my kingdom. John 18, 36, right before it, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. He is an alien. We also in Christ are now aliens. Philippians 2, uh, 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. So I'm finding something very interesting that's happening. The enemy has so easily seduced us into the love of this world that heaven, God's kingdom, has become a fairy tale. There's some people that can't even think about it because they think, I don't want to float around on a cloud and play a harp. And there's, it's so weird. But the fact is, his kingdom was there eons before us, and it will be there eons after us. There's civilizations that are living and doing and functioning. We are just a little rock put as a little boot camp to teach us how to come into that kingdom. All we need to learn is agape. That's what he's asking us to learn. If you don't learn agape, nothing works because his kingdom only runs on agape. That's why the enemy was discarded because he began to love himself. So where is the kingdom now then? He says, you're not citizens of this earth, you're citizens of heaven, but he's come to release the kingdom on earth. Where is that now? Luke 17, 20 through 21. Now, when he, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And God so magnificently has from his own planet, his own place where he lives, has dropped his very heart, his very DNA in the form of Jesus to this earth. And Jesus now says, if you will allow me, me and my father will make our abode in you, right? First Corinthians says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We make our abode in you. And if Jesus himself, the father is the kingdom, the father is salvation. He is salvation. If he is in me, the kingdom is in me. And everywhere I go, he's with me. So everywhere I go, the kingdom is. Everywhere I go, I am an ambassador because he is an ambassador. Jesus is an ambassador for, from his kingdom to show us, to tell us the Bible, it's a brochure. He's like, check this out. This is where I live. This is my brochure. Check it out. If it, and here are the requirements for my kingdom. I forgive. You now come in me, lay your life down and die. And when you die, you release that agape. That's the demonstration that you are part of mine. The demonstration that we have been born again is that we love the brothers and there is no love without agape. And agape always means sacrifice, which is what I'm gonna to get to. Hebrews 10, 15 and 16. But the Holy Spirit will also witness to us for after he said, for after he said, had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after these days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart and I will write their mind and, and in their minds I will write them. What laws? So those are the kingdom virtues that I've mentioned before. That's Romans 14. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you, little side note, if the enemy want, ever wants to render you weak, and ineffective, he'll steal your joy. That's the first thing he does. He's going to try to steal your joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And joy is rooted 
not in what we do, but it's rooted in what he did. Jesus said, my joy I give to you, not as the world gives. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. To the world, peace means, oh, there's no war, we have peace. Oh, now there's war, so no peace. Oh, there's war again. No peace. Oh, there's not war. We have peace. So it's back and forth depending. In God's kingdom, peace is eternal, whether there's war or not. It What happens in the world never affects the peace of God because he's not touched by it. That's why Jesus said, I will give you peace so that that peace now in me, I can now walk through any storm. I can walk through anything and I, will, and I don't have to be moved because no one can steal that peace. Why? Because it came from his place. Joy came from his place. Righteousness came from his place. Nothing in the world can change it. And then it says, these things will last forever. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Check that out. These things will last forever. That word abide there means it's not about a place. It's, it's about a time. They will not perish. They will endure forever. And he says, these are these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of this is love, which is agape. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, Listen, the Lord brought through Jesus these three virtues that are from the kingdom, faith, hope, and love, and they're only from him. So every kingdom now has a ruler. Every king has a rule. Every kingdom has rules. The kingdom of heaven is no exception. He has commandments. And through the scriptures, we love, humans love commandments. We, we would love if he would just say, we, this is what we would love. Lord, you just tell me to do this, this, and this, and this, and I'll just check my list, and now we're okay. And he says, no, it doesn't work that way. I'm after your heart, and I want the intent of your heart to be like mine. I want, I want to write them on your heart, not a list of rules. And in fact, he says only one. The Jews turned the, the Torah, the law, into about 600 plus rules that they followed, and they were stringent. That's why Paul, when he was throwing out his credentials, he said, according to the law, I was faultless. I was blameless. I checked every box. Bah, 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 bah. And then ultimately, Jesus said, isn't it hard to kick against the goads to Saul? A goad was that stick that used to move sheep. And Saul's going through all this. And Jesus, the whole time, has been like trying to direct him. And he would not yield until the road to Damascus. So check this out now. Jesus decides what happens in his kingdom. He's the king. John 5, 21 and 22. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. Jesus is Lord. He's the Lord over his kingdom. He is the Lord over this earth. What he says goes. Amen. Every scripture comes through him and it must be congruent with him, and it must be his, his uh, character, and it must line up with him. Otherwise, we question. John 15, 9 through 10. Just as the Father have lo has loved me, I have loved you. Abide, live in my love. And, here's, and listen to this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. So here is what he's saying. He's saying, if you love me, abide, live in my love. Everything comes from there. And now he's giving us a key. He says, if you want to abide in my love, obey my commands. I can follow that. Lord, what are your commands? So he summed it up very quickly in John 13, 33 through 35. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. 
you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have agape for one another. So he took every law in the Old Testament, every law that you can find scattered anywhere in the scriptures, he packed it all together in one statement. And that statement is, love others in the same fashion that I have loved you. Now that's heavy. That comes now to my integrity. How has the Father loved me? I was a, not only a wretched sinner, but an enemy, and he forgave me. I couldn't get into heaven because of my sin, and he gave me his life. He laid his life down for me, even though I spit in his face. He's done everything for me because he is convinced that his love will wreck my heart in a great way. And how do we know that? The principle's true. The goodness of God is what draws people to repentance. The goodness of God. You remember what goodness is, if you remember the... Uh, fruits of the spirit. Love is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's the agape, the goodness of God that draws my heart to repentance. When I am in my filth and I'm crying out to him, I'm in the pig pen. He reaches down. He releases his grace over me. His grace is released. Grace is a decision. That goodness draws my heart to say, I don't want to live like this anymore. Tristan, it's exactly like you when you said, I want to do social media for the Lord. Well, he got your heart. Now, everything that comes out of you is going to be for his glory. Why? Because he has your heart. It's not a checklist. He didn't give you a set of rules. It's like you and him. It's me and him. And we're walking together. And he'll question. He'll ask me, why do you, or I'll ask him, why do I feel that way? Why did I do that? There's so many things he wants to be involved with because his love is for me. So in John 15, 11, 12, he said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Listen to that. He's saying, if you will take heed to these words, if you will let me speak them into you and receive them, it will spring joy into your heart, joy from my kingdom. It's like he brought a secret thing and he's giving it to us and it's from his planet. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down one's life for his friends. Now he defines agape. He says, there is no greater love. Uh, this agape love is the highest level. Why? Because it's measured by sacrifice. And wasn't that really the beginning of everything? God brought the children of Israel out to worship him through sacrifice. It was always sacrifice that bridged the gap. Why? Because in Leviticus, it says this, Leviticus, I don't remember exactly. It says this, that the blood, that the life of all flesh is in blood. And the blood was given to you on the altar to atone for your sins. He says, it's the blood that carries life and, and innocent blood for guilty. And the New Testament equivalent is in Hebrews. It says, there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So if you think of that concept, Jesus came and he said, listen, agape love is realized one way, somebody giving innocent blood for someone else. Now that's the extreme. 
what it looks like daily. Because Paul said this, take up your cross. I take my cross. No, Paul said, I die daily. Jesus said, take up your cross every day. What is the cross? It's him giving his life. So it goes from the extreme of actually giving your life to the point of saying, I'm going to yield to this person, even though I know I'm right, but I'm going to surrender. I'm going to submit. I'm going to humble myself. You know, you can humble yourself and never lose dignity. Jesus was the most humble on the earth, wasn't he? Humility is not demeaning flesh. Humility is exalting God and letting him define you. And so I can lay my life down in multiple ways. You know, you can be right about something and kill everyone around you. I remember this early. Um, I was a correction officer for eight years. My first year, about midway, I came home and my wife sat me down and she's like, I'm not one of your inmates and you'll not boss me around. And I got the point. It had taken over me. But in that, I, I, um, I started recognizing, um, um, sorry, that's a little bit of a rabbit trail. But my wife was, um, I was speaking to her in ways that was, um, just so derogatory and I didn't even realize that it, it's, it kind of took over me, but I started realizing that, um, uh, I need to, I, I, and if I was, if I was right, oh, that's how I want to say it in my house, even when I was right, I would want to stand on that. I'm right. This makes sense. I'm right. And I would kill my wife and I kill my children and I would just leave this devastation though. I was right. And then God spoke to me and he said, son, have you ever read the scriptures that says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but its way is death. The Bible is never about right and wrong. It's about life and death. Father says, look, I set before you life and death. Choose. My choice isn't about what's right. My choice is what's going to bring life. In my home, if I have an argument, I can be right and just kill my wife, just blow her out. Or I can say, stop. What can I release right now that's going to release life in my house? Well, son, that requires you to die. Oh, that's agape. Agape. But then he says this, son, trust me. Those who trust in me will never be put to shame. You never get the short end of the stick because the Lord will fight for you. I hope that made sense. So no greater love is to lay your life down. The kingdom is not a set of rules. Agape is the only rule. It requires the idea of laying your life down. James 2.8, one law rules over all other laws. The royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor the same as yourself. If you obey this law, you are doing right. Romans 13.8, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And my favorite is in Galatians. 514, Paul says this, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping one command. I want to stop there. Most people, if I was to say, Paul said this, the entire law, law is fulfilled by keeping one command. And if I asked them, what do you think that command is? Most people would say it's the command to love your Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Doesn't that seem like that would be the one? And it's not the one. He says, here's the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because that one is both. You cannot love your neighbor like Jesus loved your neighbor without loving the Father. And in fact, that's the way we love the Father. We can't physically touch him. We can't even really convey much to him because there's such a vast difference. Jesus bridged the gap, but now he says, this that you do to the least of these, this is how you love me. 
Here's a mystery to the kingdom. God says, if you want to learn how to love, I'm giving you people to practice with because this is how we operate in my kingdom. Lay your life down and every person, whatever you do to them, you're doing to me. Didn't he say that? This you do to the least, you do to me. So if I choose to be unforgiveness, unforgiving to you, this is really what I'm bringing to the Lord. But what he is saying is if you will love my kids, if you will love people, the undeserving, the broken, if you love them, when you love them, you're loving me. I had a hard time telling God I loved him as a boy or um, as a uh, young Christian because of dad issues. And I just didn't know how to say it. I didn't know how to say I love you. And I told him one time, I said, Father, I don't know how to love you. I can kind of deal with Jesus because he's a man. And it's like a brother. Holy Spirit's a little trippy. But God the Father, I don't, I can't hardly do that. And he spoke to me in my heart and he said, son, if you want to love me, love my kids. And that now as a father, that rings so true. If anyone wanted to bless me and give me something, I'd say, give it to my kids. You bless my kids, I get double blessed. So the father is saying, this whole law, everything I've commanded you to love me, because that's in the law, love the Lord God. That's not what he said. That is fulfilled in this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you ever want to know the key to loving God, it's not about worship, singing. It's not about going and doing, saving the wells, all the noble things. It's simply loving the one in front of you. You don't have to love everybody all the time. You just need to love the one person in front of you right now. Amen? So Galatians, it says, love your neighbor. We already have asked that question. In fact, Jesus dealt with it. Who's my neighbor? And it goes into saying, listen, don't look for the loophole. That question was, okay, who's my neighbor? Remember that? He asked him, well, Jesus said, you know, he talks about the neighbor and the Samaritan. And he says, well, who is my neighbor? That's a loophole question. It's like, how do I get out of this? The better question isn't who's my neighbor? Who should I love? The better question is, I get it. Teach me how to love. Just teach me how to love. Galatians 5, 6, for Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. I want to stop there because that's an interesting statement. Paul is now dealing in Galatians. It's a fantastic chapter. If you really want to read about grace and the law and the division of that, not being under works, Galatians is your book. In Galatians, he says this, He's dealing with these people who are trying to be self-righteous. They're trying to keep circumcision. They're trying to keep this and that and blend it all together, which we're still doing today. We, we pulled Old Testament into it. Anyway, he, um, he says, your circumcision, getting it doesn't matter. Not getting it doesn't matter. There's only one thing that matters. And in other words, he was saying this, your most reverential or conscientious religious acts, circumcision, or you're free-flowing, I'm going to wear my jeans, and we're going to be like, you know, a vineyard just free, or non-circumcision, none of that matters. He says this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through agape. That's the only thing that matters. Paul narrowed it down. He said, listen, you can act religious all you want. You can have your meetings. You can have your worship times. You can have all of that stuff, and none of that means anything if it's not your faith being expressed through agape. If agape is not there, it's all show. And it, it's like clanging symbols. Matthew seven twenty. so then you will know them by their fruits, no, not gifts. Little note, 
I don't care how powerful someone is anointed, how much word of knowledge they have, prophetic insight, all of that, that means nothing. You don't know people by their gifts. Gifts tell you nothing about the person or their character, zero. The only thing they tell you is about the God who gave the gift. He's a good giver. Fruit is the thing that distinguishes because that's the work of the spirit of God in you. And fruit of the spirit is agape. And where there is no agape, there is no fruit. In England, when the queen is in the palace or the king, it's a tradition still going today of one of the palaces, they'd put up a flag or a banner. And if you saw that banner, you would know the queen's there. Agape is like that banner. If we're, if we're walking in agape, he's here. No agape, he's not here. Agape cannot be mustered up. It cannot be manufactured. It can only be manifested. He puts us in, he puts it in us and we release it out of us. Agape is a gift from the father to give through us. It's not complete until it comes in me and then to someone else. If it only comes in me, it's not complete. That's not completed love. Completed love comes in me and out to someone else. We'll see that in a moment. Galatians 5, 1 through 2. So how then, you know, God says, love my people. I want you to love. He also defines what that looks like because he knows us. And so there's several scriptures I want to go through pretty quickly here. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. This is in the message version. I picked this because it has some description of what I'm trying to say in this passage. Watch what God does and then do it like that. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. I love that. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He did not love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. What a great foundation to begin to walk from. It's love that doesn't take. It's a love that gives. Now, investment love is not bad. I mean, it, me and my wife, we live together. So we have, we have covenant and we take care of chores and we do certain things. And if she falls short, it kind of, you know, we have to talk about it and work it. But agape is never to be like that. First Corinthians 13, one through three. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have agape. I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have a gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains but have not agape, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, that's sacrifice, but it have not love, it profits me nothing. He made it very, very clear that we can do a lot of stuff, but the but the bottom line is he judges the heart. You know, it's difficult for people to, to discern, is that a good work or a dead work? A good work is done because it's agape. It's done out of the abundance of grace. And you do it because you love them with no strings attached. That same action could be done here, but it's strictly out of self-motivation. I'm doing this because I'm going to get something back. But they may look the same. And the bottom line is that's very difficult for us to judge what's real. And he says, you don't need to. The fruit will eventually come up and you will begin to see them by the fruit of their life. And in fact, that's not really our business anyway. My business is never to judge anyone. My business isn't to condemn. My business, that's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that. He said, 
the spirit of God has come for three reasons. To, he has come to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's his job. He convicts the world of sin. My job, he says, you have been called to be transformed to the image of Christ. I'm not called to be the image of the Holy Spirit. I'm not called to be the image of the Father. Even though Jesus is his image, I am made in the image of Jesus. He is whom I am formed after. I'm being transformed into his image. I've clothed myself with him. So I do what he does, not what the Holy Spirit does, nor what the Father does. Even though they're all one, it's kind of a weird thing, but what he is saying is watch me. This is my son, listen to him. And what he does is he stretches his hands and forgives. The Holy Spirit then moves into the heart. You see, when you release grace, when, you, when love is present, it's a choice by grace. And that grace now causes someone else to have impact. I remember when I was confronted by God's grace through somebody, and that grace hit me, as opposed to most of the Christians got out their Bible, and it was the Gatlin Gun Gospel. <laughs> oh, you drink beer, you're going to go to hell. Oh, you smoke pot, you're going to go to hell. You have sex, you're going to go to hell. All of that, and I was like, get out of here. You don't have to tell me the bad news, bozo. You have anything good to say? And then I was confronted with agape. Boom, and it hit me here. Grace was revealed to me and something inside of me because I was persecuting these dudes when they were telling me this, but they sacrificed, they humbled themselves. And so I saw agape released to me and that was sacrifice. They didn't fight back. They humbled themselves. And it was so apparent that it almost broke my heart. They humbled themselves. And that agape hit me through sacrifice. And I went, oh, I have never tasted that before. I didn't let them see that. I ended up cussing them out and they had split. But I went home to my bed. And I laid on there and I'm like, what the heck? That sacrifice released something in me and it popped up. Boom. This grace of the Father. And I was, I had to know, and I began a search to find him. Now, when agape is released, when God so loved the world that he released agape on the world, when agape came, Jesus released grace. Do you know you're not saved? We are not saved by faith. You could say all day, I believe in you, God. I believe in you, God. Therefore, I'm saved. God would say, that's not your decision. You can believe in me all you want. The devils believe and they tremble. That doesn't get you to heaven. Here's what gets you to heaven. You have been saved by grace through faith, Romans 3. You've been saved by a decision from the Lord to forgive you. And by faith, you access that forgiveness. It's his choice. We already read that. Jesus said, judgment's in my hands. I can give it or I don't. He could easily have said, you know what? I'm not giving it away. I'm going back home. And been justified because we're all sinners but he chose he chose to release grace grace came and grace is the decision to forgive and how do we know he chose grace because he demonstrated sacrifice sacrifice is the doorway for grace to be revealed no sacrifice no grace period and in fact remember in hebrews it says do not cease to release grace in any environment because if grace does not come, without grace, a root of bitterness will spring up, defiling many and causing problems. So God released grace. And how did he do it? He sacrificed. 
Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. So here's, here's the circle that I just referred to. Agape, this love, Jesus had a love for his people and they were broken. Agape drove him. It motivated him. We are ruled by it. We are led by it. It's, it can, it um, compels us. Love compelled him. Love was the motivation for Jesus to give self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice now became the ignition for grace to be released. Grace now is the revelation of God's agape. So check out this. I think I put a little circle, Tristan, for you, a little circle thing. That, that's how that works. Agape first. When I have agape in me and I love somebody and I want to love them, that agape motivates me to love them. Self-interest motivates me to love in a different way, not agape. That's a whole different ballgame. Agape, I'm motivated by his love for me. And I want to love those like he did. So that agape motivates me to sacrifice myself. I lay down my life for them. That laying down the life is the definition of grace. I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to give you grace and then not do anything. It's like when, G when, when Paul said, or it was John, I think first John, he said, if you, you say to someone, hey, come in, be warmed and filled. And then you shut the door and you don't do it. In fact, he said this, if you have what people need, the worldly goods, and you see they're in need and you don't give it, how can the agape of God be in you? See, the idea here is I can be motivated by his love and I can say a lot of things, but if I don't lay down the sacrifice, if I don't actually physically lay down agape, lay my life down, sacrifice in every situation to bring life, if I don't do that, agape cannot be birthed. But when I do that, grace is revealed. And anytime grace is revealed, that's when people see and feel God's agape. So you want to get people saved. You can't do it with mere words. Isn't that what St. Francis of Assisi said? He said, go and everywhere and preach the gospel. And if necessary, use some words. If we just walked in a way of laying down our lives, taking up our cross daily, for, with our spouses, our neighbors, our enemies, our job, out on the streets, wherever we go, if our choice is, how do I bring life to this person? How do I bring life? Every time when you do that, someone's going to sacrifice. Listen to this. If someone's going to go without, I'm going without. If someone's going to have to die, I'm going to die. If someone's going to need to do whatever it needs to do, I'm going to do it. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do. He said, you can't outgive me. The more you lay down your life, he who waters will himself be watered, Proverbs. So when I have that motivation to love, unless I lay my life down, unless there's a surrender, there is no agape. I can say all kinds of things, but I'm a sounding brass. First John 4, and I'm just about done. First John 4, 12. If we love one another, God's, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Do you see that scripture, Tristan? That's the one I was referring to earlier. If we love one another, it says we then abide in God. Remember God said, if you abide in me, you will, you will have my agape. If abide in my love, and if you obey my commands, you're abiding in my love. And here's my command love each other. He says this, when you love one another, that means you're abiding in me. How do you abide in the Lord? It's not worship. Well, actually it is. That's worship. Sacrifice is worship. It's authentic worship. There is no Hebrew worship without sacrifice. 
I mean, even the first Exodus, God said, let them go so they can go and worship me for three days out in the wilderness. That's sacrifice. Sacrifice is laying your life down. Romans 12. This is your reasonable, it's not on the list, but this is your reasonable act of worship. Romans 12. How? A living sacrifice. Check it out. That's how we worship. Singing songs is like kissing. As a matter of fact, God says this, when you come to worship me, you come to bring this to my to bring this offering to me. If you have something against a brother or sister, you leave that there. I don't want that. I want that. You go make that right. Then this makes sense. So love one another. And then it says in 1 John 4, 12, then his love will be perfected in us. It's not perfected until it comes in me and out of me. That's the way God has designed it. 1 John 5, 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Christ, is God's child. And whoever loves the Father also loves the Father's children. The opposite inverse truth of that is just as powerful when we don't love the children it's indication we don't love the Father. First John 3, 18, little children, stop, or let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really agape them and show. That's the release of sacrifice by our actions. Romans 5, 5 through 8. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So everywhere agape goes, the kingdom will flow. Hope does not disappoint. You've read the proverb that says, um, hope, um, what is that, uh, is, uh, causes us sickness. Um, hope deferred makes a heart sick. I hear a lot of Christians say that. Yeah, my hope was deferred. I'm de blah, 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 blah. Um, I'll end with this, and then we can, I believe you might have some questions, Tristan. Um, hope deferred, Old Testament, New Testament uh, equivalent, Romans 5. Now hope does not disappoint. Hope deferred. The only time hope can be deferred is when I stop hoping. Once I quit hoping, I've deferred it. The enemy hasn't deferred it. There's delay in everything. The kingdom of God is always delayed. It's, there's always things that seem to still be coming. And the Lord says, it's not delayed. It's right on time because I wish none should perish. And so my hope now is in his word and in his promises. And the enemy wants me to, to give up on that hope. What well, hasn't happened yet? If, it, if God wanted to do it, he'd already done it. Hope only is deferred until I give up on hope. When I hold on to hope, he says, hope will not disappoint. If you remember Thomas, he's dubbed doubting Thomas, which is, which is stupid. He just wanted what the disciples had. And I don't blame him. I want it too. The disciples are all there. He's not there. Jesus comes and he says, put your hands on the holes. Feel my side. And they all did it and tripped out. Thomas pops along. He's not there. And he goes, what? what? I do believe, but I want to see that as well. And he waited. He waited a day. He waited another day and 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 another day. Eight days later, Jesus pops in. He says, hey, Thomas, come over here. Boom, boom. Don't be unbelieving, believe. Thomas could have went a day and said, I guess he doesn't want to show me, but he didn't give up hope. Amen. God's promises are yes and amen. I better stop there because I'll keep going for another hour, man. Man, that was so good. <laughs> um, so the questions I have, I think go along with this very well, but I have to just honor you in that whole message was just 
blowing my mind over here. I'm trying not to run a lap in my office. That was so good. Dude, um, I, I went kind of fast. I hope I didn't go too fast. I tried was, to get a lot of content in there. It was spot on. Um, so we talked about like, we should love others and stuff, but I think a lot of people wonder like, why does God even love us? So how would you answer that? You know, it's really, um, um, the love of God is such a mystery. His kingdom is love. Where he lives in his planet, his, or his kingdom, love is the governing virtue because he is love. First uh, uh, John says that God is love. God doesn't just have love that he gives away. Whenever love is present, it's the Holy Spirit. God doesn't have gifts that he gives away. It's the Holy Spirit. He is the gift. When there's healing, it's because the Holy Spirit's there. When there's prophecies, because the Holy Spirit's there. There's no separate little things floating around. He is the gift. He himself is love. And he is a father who created children. And why? It says for his pleasure, he created them. Why does he love us? Uh, I'm hearing an interesting scripture. Write this down. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. And I use the Living Bible just because I really like this translation. It says, for you are, you know, I'll read it a little closer. It says, for you are a holy people dedicated to the Lord your God. He has chosen you from all the people on the face of the earth to be his own chosen ones. Mm -hmm. He didn't choose you and pour out his love upon you because you were the large nation and uh, larger than any other. For you were smaller of all. It was just because he loves you. And because he kept his promise to your ancestors. So it has nothing to do with us being special outside of the fact that we're his kids. My love for my children is off the chart. I didn't muster that up. I didn't create that. It was birthed in me when, my, when I looked at my daughter. Something inside of me. Now for that not to happen, something has to be wrong. And a lot of people's brains aren't right. And they don't know how to love. Mm -hmm. But I saw that and felt that, and that was the, lo the Lord's love for me. So mm -hmm. the long answer is we don't know exactly why, but God is a good God. Mm -hmm. He could have been evil. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if God was evil? Oh, <laughs> but he's good, and his love is so good. And so why does he love us? I think, I think that's a question that we can never really answer, and I think I'm happy with just saying, I'm really pleased that he does mm. and I love others just like that. That's so good. Um, with the agape love, I love how you brought that up um, because I was watching, I, I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast because it's engraved in my brain. Dan Fairley was preaching like, uh, I think it was about a month ago now uh, about the transactional relationship with God, how we don't want to have that and we want to have agape love for him um how how would you say like someone can avoid that transactional relationship with him so the whole idea of transactional really is the idea of need mm. um and in this world um the way that it's governed in this world and in the carnality of the world it's ruled by money mm -hmm. it's ruled by power it's ruled by position and things and the Lord doesn't want us to be ignorant of that. In fact, Jesus was very clear. He spoke about money more than faith in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And he says, hey, the world knows how to use money better than you guys. And you need to learn how to do that because you will have influence. It's a way of influencing. So in the world, 
the world is all about status. It's all about who has the most toys wins at the end. It's because there's no hope for eternity. It's it. If there was no God and I knew that, my life would be different. I don't think I'd be mean or hateful because I do love people. But if he wasn't here, maybe I wouldn't. But I would certainly have a lot of stuff. I'd have a lot of power and I'd have a lot of control because if this is it, this is it. But we know it's not. However, the enemy is so cunning. He tries to take those seeds that the Lord has put in us and get them tangled in the weeds of the world, the cares of the world, all the stuff of the world. If you live in a, in a mindset that says the religious people, God, and all these people won't accept you unless you go to church, you're in transaction. Now you have a job. Uh, God won't accept you unless you do that. You have a job. Um, you don't get this unless you do that. You now have a job. You now move from a position of sonship to a position of employment. I'm now an employee of the king. If I do this, he does that. It's reap sow, but in a way that is not the kingdom. Reaping and sowing has to do primarily on this earth. So my transactional mind with the Lord always comes to let's make a deal. If I do this, will you do that? If I do this, will you do that? What we fail to realize is the Lord knows our needs before we even ask. And in fact, he knows what we need better than, than I do. I've asked my wife this once time. I, I said, do you want me to love you the way you want me to love you? Or do you want me to love you the way God wants me to love you? What do you think? What's the better way? Oh, sorry. I'm talking to everybody. The way God the way God wants me to love my wife is far better. And here's the reason why. The reason why is he knows her. He knows her heart. He knows what needs to be done and not need to be done. He knows how to woo her. He knows everything he needs to know about my wife. And he wants to teach me how to love her. Not her teach me how to love her because she doesn't know how to love herself. She doesn't know what she wants. That's the principle where I say, Lord, you know what I need. You know what's good for me, and I trust you. That's what David meant when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. I shall not want. I have no want because he has supplied. And if I have no want, I don't need to make deals. The minute I start making deals, I now move into my own self-righteousness. Mm. That was Job's fault. And he continued to lift up before the Lord. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Mm. I, I don't deserve. I don't deserve transaction transaction anytime we walk in that place that says i've now earned there's a scripture that says this everything you have is from the lord everything and if you got that from the lord why do you act as though you earned it that you're all puffed up about it paul dealt with that so again the long answer <laughs> is for me to stay in a position of agape i have to completely surrender everything i own mm. If I own anything, it's no longer, it's, I now have place to protect. In the Old Testament, it was just a tithe, a tenth. In the New Testament, it's 100%. It's you. Everything you are, you give. If, if you were my slave, Tristan, and you had no rights, and you had no freedom, and you owned nothing, and you did everything I was to say um, to you, you would, you would always be in a position of, not transactional, but of grace. You have nothing. I don't have, you have nothing I want. You have nothing to give me. I'm giving to you out of grace. Yeah. 
But if all of a sudden you have something now and you start bartering, now we're giving back and forth. Mm. What would you barter with God? You cannot. In yeah. fact, when we tap into that source, we actually realize we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms given to us, Ephesians. Mm. And First Peter, all, we have all things pertaining to life and godliness with precious promises. Wow. Well, <laughs> I over I over answer a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that, no, no, I ever apologize for that. Um, gosh, that was so good. Okay. Um, can you actually keep going? Do you have more to that? To to that whole con oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That I, I felt just I felt God on that. You should keep going with that. So, here's what I'm learning about my life. The other day I was walking with him and another miracle that he had done. He, he always takes care of me. He has never let me down. I'm 59 years old. I'm getting ready to turn 60 years old. And I was walking the other day and I heard in my heart, the Lord speaks to me out of my own mouth. I've never heard him with these audible ears, but I've heard him here. And I've learned how to discern that over years. But anyway, and still I'm learning, but he said to me, or he showed me this miracle. And I said to myself, he has never once let me down, never in 60 years. And then I said to myself, when are you going to start believing him? Because I always find myself when tension rises and things are going, oh, what have I done wrong? Or I need to do this. Or what should I do? I need blah, blah, blah. And he's like, son, I have proven over and over again. Rest. If you rest in me and you trust in me, you allow my work to happen. Everything is yours. And nothing is yours. Meaning, I don't need to possess anything because I have everything. He never lets me go without. And the bottom line, brother, is we are learning on earth how to live in his kingdom. If we don't learn now how to live in his kingdom. Hey, can I take a, can I, can I touch on that for just a second? Yes. There's a scripture in, in, um, I don't remember, Paul, it's later in the epistles. I think it's Hebrews. I'm pretty sure it is. He says this, we are all building upon our most holy faith, upon the capstone, which is Jesus. And he said, we are building upon that with hay, wood, and stubble, or precious jewels and gold. And he says, everyone's work at the end will be judged as by fire. It's like we're going to go through this fire, and that which is not done of God burns. The hay, wood, and stubble. <laughs> so let's say I become a Christian, and this is my foundation. It's Jesus of Nazareth, and I'm standing on it because I believed him. I've confessed him with my mouth, and he is my Lord. Boom, it's done. I'm no longer subject to anyone's argument. That's now I'm written in the Lamb's Book of Life, right? Revelation. You're only written in the Lamb's Book of Life because of the blood. Wow. Psalm 139 says this. All of the days of your life were written in his book before one came to be. I call that the book of destiny. That's my book on this earth. This is how I'm walking on this earth. The Lamb's book of life, I did nothing to get in except Christ. I believed. Jesus was asked by the disciples, what must we do to do the works of God? Tell us. And he said, here's, the, here's what you do. This is the work of God. Believe on him whom he sent. Mm -hmm. So I'm my name, Peperobi, book of life. Boom. That's over there. I don't need to worry about that. I'm standing on it. Now I have the book of my destiny. And the Lord is saying, be careful. What you plant will grow and you will reap what you sow. But plant well. Practice my principles. And so now I'm building on that foundation of Christ. And I'm choosing 
When I'm walking in the spirit, jewels and stone. When I'm walking in the flesh, weeds and, and wood and thistles. And let's say over 60 years, I've built this house. Yeah. Jewels here, wood here, jewels here. Wood. At the end of it, it comes all collapsing down because all that wood goes. I'm hoping that there's some jewels there at the bottom kind of thing. But let's say there's not. And it goes all the way down to the foundation. Paul even says that person will still be saved but yet as by fire, like a stick being pulled out of a flame because they're founded on the foundation of Christ. None of that gets me to heaven. The book of life does. This all has to do with my inheritance, both on earth and what I take with me to heaven. If I have not learned how to live in love on this earth, when I get to his kingdom, I think I have to start over. Who knows? Maybe I'm going to be sitting in the back and watching everybody until I learn it. I don't know. But when I get this, that my, my name's in the book of life, I now get to walk in peace and in joy and in righteousness. So here's where this connects in. If I'm in a position where peace is eluding me, something's not right. My peace isn't right. I need to find out what's going on. Peace is like Oh, Old Testament scripture, it says we shall go forth with joy and be led with peace. Go forth means to launch. Joy becomes our ignition. That's one third of the kingdom. Joy of the Lord launches me. Peace now directs me. It's my compass. I don't feel peace about that. I'm going to wait. I'm launching out. Ah, I don't have peace. Oh, there's my peace. I'm walking this way. I live in peace. I live in rest because Jesus is in rest. When I am not in rest, I'm outside of him. So when I am in him, I have no need for anything because he has taken care. I don't need to beg him for anything because he already knows. In fact, he says, son, I've already given you an account. You have precious promises. You have a bank account that you just need to access. It's right there. Access it. How do I access it? It's called agape. Mm. Every time you release agape, our inheritance is released into this earth. When we try to hang on, because Jesus said this, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. It's like grabbing sand and saying, I'm going to make a dirt clod out of this. And it just eludes you. But he says, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Here's the key. If you determine in your heart and you say, I will go without before someone else does. If you determine in your heart to say, I'm going to humble myself before someone else does. If you determine in your heart to say, I don't need anything except what the Lord tells me. And you begin to guard your heart towards that. You'll find the Lord will give you stuff you didn't even know you wanted or needed. He will lavishly bless you. He's never a poverty spirit God. He doesn't want us to go without for the sake of going out without. He wants us to be free from the love of it. Because in the world, money rules. And we get perverted by the love of money. Not money, it's the love of that money. And whenever I find myself trying to build my own self and hope the Lord blesses me, I'm out of balance. Wow. Wow. Whoa. That's good, huh? That's so good. Um, that's... Hey, hey, before you say anything. Yeah. This, this, this will illustrate it. I remember some time back, my, my, the Lord telling me, son... I want you to be Jesus. I want you to be me in your home. Your wife and your children should not outserve you. Huh. So I started, 
I would, anytime I could, I remember one particular time my wife was in her chair. She was all seated back and she was very comfortable. I was in my recliner sitting back. We were watching TV and I see her start to get up and I said, what do you need? She goes, oh, I left something in my car. And she's about to, and I said, no, let me go get that. I didn't want to. I was so comfortable. It was freezing cold out there. I got up and I went and I, I chosen in my mind, I'm going to start looking for ways to serve her without saying I'm serving her. And I began to do that. And she began to notice pretty soon. I saw her wanting to outserve me. And you know what happened then is my kids started noticing it. Next thing I know, I saw them starting to serve. There's a concept that in my home, no one's going to outserve me. I want to take that concept everywhere I go. Everywhere I go, you're not going to outserve me. I'm going to look for ways to serve. I'm going to look for ways. Why? Because I want to release sacrifice. Why? Because when you release sacrifice, grace is exposed. And when grace is exposed, agape comes forth. And agape is the only thing that can change a heart. Words can't change a heart, only agape. Religion can't change a heart, only agape. The release of agape is the only thing that has the power to change the heart. And if you want people's hearts to change, you got to pour out agape. You can't pour out agape without sacrifice. Wow. Whoa. I've never, I've never even thought about it like that. Like, I'm going to use that in my, my household, just try to serve out of love, you know, just... Let me yep. get that for you. Oh my God. Do, do it quietly. He said this. Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. When you fast, clean yourself up. Don't let people know. And the father in heaven who sees, he'll see. Remember the little widow? She yeah. came and she had that little half a penny. She drops it in. And you got the Pharisees with their big brass pots and all their gold. And they're making a big show. And Jesus said, did you see that? And they're like, what? That little woman. She gave more than all of them. They're like, what? Here's the thing. Jesus never misses anything. No one else saw it, but he saw it. Mm. Behind the scenes, when you lay your life down, when you do something no one sees, when you do something back and you didn't have one witness and you want people to see because you want them to know you love, that goes out the window. Why? Because Jesus sees. And that's the only thing that matters. He says, do it in private and I will reveal it and reward you openly. Wow. 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 So... I don't know why, but in my head, love language just keeps coming back, you know, um, because you're talking about that servanthood and like, how would you describe, I, I know there's viewers here that are watching us when I post this, they're going to be wondering like about the love languages. So what have you learned about all the love languages and how they all kind of. You're talking about the, that book, the five love languages. Mm -hmm. So I love the book, but unfortunately Anytime you try to make a system into anything, it becomes legalistic mm. to the point where I've been in counseling sessions where one woman said, well, he knows my love language is this and he's not even doing that. Mm. And I thought, I don't think that book was designed to give people ammunition to condemn people. And in fact, I don't think there's five. I think that there's no such thing as the amount of love languages. A love language is what the Holy Spirit is doing in you at that moment. I love the fact, though, that the writer did point out these aspects, and they all have to do with sacrifice. I want to come and communicate with you and, and give something to you. I want to serve you. I want to do this or whatever it may be. The, 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 some of the blessings that came out of that certainly are helping us to understand one another. But when I then 
take something that someone knows of me. Hey, I know she knows that I'm a community. That's my love language and she's not doing it. And I judge her according to that. Yeah. I just, I just completely dismantled the whole reason for the book. Mm. It's like, it's like the person that says, Oh, I have a ministry. My ministry is great. And I need to serve my ministry. And I watch people step on people to do their ministry. Man, if they weren't here, my ministry would grow. Man, if they, I just need to get them out of the way. And I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm ministering. I'm learning how to love. I'm loving Jesus. I'm learning how to love people through my ministry and step on them to get through because the ministry has become more important than agape because our identity becomes connected to this thing. We're now in transitional. I do this. I get this back. I'm doing this so God loves me more or, ooh, he's special because he's doing that. When we, when we take a system and we start applying it now and we start making people hold, hold two of it, we legally fall into that. Mm. Take that book. I think here's what people should do. Take that book and don't, don't give it to anyone else. Don't share it with anyone else. Let them have their own book. Learn what yours are so that you know how to keep yourself from being offended mm. and learn how to find what other people's are so that you can love them well. You never expect it from someone. Here's the thing. If you're not loved well, people think, oh, I'm going to cry out for justice. That's not scriptural. Malachi. No, Micah. I have shown you, old man, what is good and what is required of you. Live justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. That hasn't gone away. Do you know what it means to live justly? Live justly means I live in a way that nobody would have a reason to cry out to justice for God for me. I live in a way that I am so living a sacrificial life. No one's going to say, how could you do this to me? God, he did this to me and cry out for justice. I'm living justly. It doesn't say demand justice. Nowhere. I am not owed justice. In fact, I'm going to get opposite of that. Live justly. It says not expect justice. It says love mercy. You know what mercy does? Mercy forgives people who treat them unjustly. Uh, I don't have the right to stand up and say, I was treated bad. I deserve. What do I deserve? I deserve death. I deserve nothing. I have no rights. I'm a bond servant. Never can I stand up to God and say, I deserve. He's going to say, really, Job, what do you deserve again? Huh? Were you with me when I put the expanse of the ocean? Are you telling me I'm not quite doing a good job? See, when we demand justice, now I'm not talking about calling out for the things of God with prayer and intercession. I'm talking about living in a way where I am more important to that person and how dare you offend me or how dare you speak that to me or how dare you do this? How dare you do that? Mm. On the contrary, Jesus took it over and over and over and over in the midst of those coming in. We have one, we have two choices. We can either be right Mm-hmm. and shut them down or i can learn how to give give life and who was who was treated like that jesus jesus was accused over and over and over and he did nothing wrong he was the real one he could have at any time blasted him didn't he he could have mm-hmm. and he humbled himself and he took the beatings and he took the lashings and he took that why because that sacrifice released what salvation The cross of Christ, when you stretch your hands, it releases salvation into that environment. Mm -hmm. So if I'm living in a place where you're supposed to love me that way, 
I'm not releasing. I'm becoming the spirit of God, and I'm going to convict you, and I'm going to show you where you're wrong. That's the spirit of condemnation. If we live in a way where we have to be right, mm -hmm. oh, I wish Christians would listen to this. If we live in a way where we have to be right, someone has to be wrong. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I have the ministry of condemnation. I'm going to go until you're wrong and I'm right. I don't care who dies because I need to be right. That rules in this world. Now you give someone ammunition with a book that says, you're supposed to love me this way and you know it and you're not. I'm now justified to pull away from you somehow. I'm, I'm pulling away. And remember that scripture that says, God's love is perfected when it comes into me and out to a person. Yeah. How do I stop God's love? I pull myself from them. I remember asking someone who was very mad at someone. I said, did you forgive them? Oh, I forgave them because I'm a Christian. And I said, do you see them? Oh, no, I don't go near them. I said, so you've stopped your connection with them, but you have forgiven them. So no longer will God's love flow through you to them. You have now stopped their inheritance from the Father through you. You are no longer a conduit of God's inheritance through you to them. You've chosen to shut that door because wow. your self-righteousness, as opposed to saying, ah, forgive me, Lord, I am nothing. I am nothing and I surrender and I humble myself. Let them beat me. Let them, let them strike me on this side. Let them strike. You know, when he said that, when Jesus said, if someone strikes you, give them your other cheek. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, look, try to love somebody. Come into them. Ask forgiveness, whatever. If they don't accept it and they slap you, they rebuke you, don't walk away and go, well, I tried it. Look at them yeah, and get all your buddies together. I went there and they just blah, blah, blah. That's not what he said. He said, regrip, rethink, different strategy. Come in again, give them the other side. Mm. If that doesn't work, if, if they've stolen from you, if they've ripped you off, they've taken it, pull back, bring something else. Yeah. He is saying, listen, son, I have everything you need. You won't go without. Trust me. Even if you give your life, that's how you overcome the enemy. The word of the of your testimony, the blood of the lamb, and they didn't love their lives unto death. Mm -hmm. If we're unwilling to die in every situation, we will not release agape, period. And so if I demand love from people, if I demand respect, if I demand you will obey me, you will not treat me that, if I demand all that, again, I'm not talking about letting the sons of the devil walk over us or being abused. I'm talking about in the place of if someone's going to go without, Jesus always will. He always did. And salvation is released. Mm -hmm. So the long answer to that book, I love the book. Great information. If you learn some of those concepts, it will help you to love people better. But if you use it as a tool to get something, you've completely dismantled the purpose of that book. Mm. Wow. That, that's true. I think a lot of people not only do that with that book, but with the Bible sometimes, like you said that. You bet. And I, someone was telling me, I, I'm going to mess this up and it's going to be okay because Jesus loves me. So someone was telling me, uh, we want to be, uh, us as Christians should show the love of Jesus and they, they should want some more of Jesus. But a lot of the time we think we're showing the love of Jesus, but we're not, we're actually judging them. And then they're saying, I don't want to know that Jesus. That's, that's a big thing is because we want to be disciples that make disciples. But a lot of the time we're forgetting that we still need to be discipled. And we think that we know everything, you know, That's right. you're That's exactly right. right. Mm.
In the Old Testament, God said that. He said, my name is blasphemed among the nations because of my people. Do you know, I can show you a trace through the New Testament that correlates agape with the power of God. Yeah. No agape, no power. Agape, power. Mm -hmm. If the world's looking at the church, and they are, mm -hmm. if the church is the church, by and large, displaying agape to itself, what would you say? Do you think the church loves itself? Or is there division like crazy? Division like crazy. We live in a world where churches hate churches more than the world. We live in a world where churches won't talk to somebody. People won't talk to people because they go to a different building. They go to a different building to meet together. So we can't talk to them. Hey, they meet in that building. So we probably shouldn't plant our building right here. We, those people in that building think differently. So they're not here. We're the only, we have so we are so disconnected. We are so judgmental to each other. The scriptures say this. If, if you don't, he says, when you love one another, if you love one another like I loved you, the world will know that I came from the Father. The world doesn't believe Jesus came from the Father. At best, they think he was a crazy lunatic teacher. They disregarded Jesus completely. There is no love. In fact, if agape, if the release of agape is the foundation for the power of God to be released, which I can show you biblically it is, what if I were to say the reason the church is so powerless is because we don't love each other? If the body of Christ loved each other, we would see the power of God externally. It's because of that very thing, because we are so needing to be right. That's that's the foundational problem amongst most of the churches, uh, amongst the body of Christ, is we are taught a system that needs to be right. Yeah. A system that's controlled and needs to be right and under my control. And whenever that happens, agape is buried. Yeah, it's a real thing. And that, that, that I believe that comes in culture. You know, I think that if, if you have, I think we have a lot at the moment of putting people on pedestals, you know what I mean? And um, believing that, like forgetting that they have the same Holy Spirit living within you that you have with them, right? But also I think that a way to fix that whole thing, the the love problem is to start to rebuild culture, you know, start to end the church. I think- The only way, you're right. But I don't know. <laughs> and And ultimately though, I um I have to put everything aside because I can get I can in my heart I can feel this zeal mm -hmm. that can turn unhealthy easy. Mm -hmm. I have to put that aside and say the Lord hasn't called me to change anybody. He's called me to change me. Mm -hmm. And I know this, the answer to that culture changing for me is yeah. to demonstrate it. Yeah. Not talk about it. Lead by example. I demonstrate it. I might have, I don't know, maybe 12 people I influence. <laughs> 12 people turn the world upside down right if, if the body of christ if each one of us me you and everyone listening if we said i'm not going to worry about other people learning how to love i'm not going to correct them i'm not going to change them let god do that that's his job he's the one who convicts of sin i am going to become in the image of jesus and i'm going to start demonstrating agape everywhere i go whether anyone else does or not can you imagine if that happened because that's the only way it can it can't be organized you can't have one person stand up in front of everybody and say, we're all going to love everyone. 
it's, it does not work. It's, we're not intended to be Old Testament anymore with a temple and a priest. We are New Testament people where every person has a relationship with Jesus independently. That's why it says, James, you don't need a man to teach you. Everyone has an anointing. You're not dependent upon someone else telling you what you can or can't do in the kingdom. Permission to do this and permission. You don't, that's, that's Old Testament pop, poppycock. It's Jesus living now amongst every one of us and he's Lord over the church, he alone, over every person, and every person's equal to him. We all will do things differently according to what he wants us to do, but that submission to him as ruler is individual thing, and I'm only accountable for me, and if me and you, if we just said today, we're making a covenant, Father, we want to live in a way that we are releasing sacrifice so that grace would be manifest so that people actually experience the love of God and I'll, I'll lay down sacrifice I'm going to look for places where I could be right here but I feel the Lord saying lay me down now that doesn't mean that there's not times where the Lord says no stand up because goodness you know goodness and kindness faith, uh, goodness and kindness are very similar words kindness means and this is the fruit of the spirit Galatians 5 kindness means doing loving things to people even though they don't deserve it or they're not, you know, just because goodness says, I stand up for what is right. I do right and I stand up for what is right. So there's a time for tough love and tender love, and that's goodness and kindness. There's a time when I have to take a stand because the children of the devil are too much, or this just is out of hand or whatever it may be. But the majority of the time, if I will walk in a place of submission, like Jesus submitted all the time, I've never been, I have nothing done to me like he did. I should have no excuse why I haven't laid my life down for every situation I've encountered. I've not encountered bloodshed or beatings. He laid his life down for that. He surrendered that. When they were beating him, he could have said, stop. Didn't he say that? I can call legions of angels if I want, but he didn't. He humbly took it because he knew the cross was going to release salvation. And it was that joy for the joy set before him, he endured. That's the key, my brother. We can lay our life down because the joy of knowing salvation is coming pushes us through that. I can endure when I know I'm fighting for the release of salvation. And what was his joy? The joy that was set before him was me and you. Yeah. The joy was the people that was going to come free because he was laying his life down. The laying his life down was not in vain. My brother, when you lay your life down for somebody and it releases grace, it's never in vain because something is released. If we can grab hold of that, we can actually have joy in the midst of sacrifice. Wow. Whew. Well, that's good. That's good. That's good. I, I have a lot to think about after this. All right. Oh. Will you um, pray us out? You got it, man. All right. If you're watching this and um, you feel like you really, you want to make that covenant with the Lord to I want to start living a life that's sacrificial. I want, to, I want to learn how to lay my life down so that that's the evidence of grace, so that agape can be manifest and people can see Jesus. And that's the only way they'll see it. If that's you, just put your hand on your heart. Father, I pray today that they would not feel the need to, to muster this up or to try to make it happen manufacture it in some way, but they would only manifest it because you're putting it in them. Brothers and sisters, receive right now in Jesus' name, his love. You cannot give away what you don't possess. 
Ask for his love. Ask him to show you his cross. Ask him to show you his sacrificial love. Ask him to give you insight every day on the way he loves you. That's fuel. That's how your faith is built, that you can love others in that same way. Let him show you. Ask him to open your eyes, to widen your eyes, to see what he's doing around you. Take opportunities to lay your life down. I, I just speak this into your spirit. You were made to take up your cross daily like Jesus said. You were made to die daily. And in that death, you rise because he says this, he is the resurrection of life. Though you die, yet you shall live. He says this, trust me, those who trust in me will not be put to shame. You cannot outgive God. Those who water will themselves be watered. In fact, he said this, whatever you give up for my sake and for the kingdom, you shall get back 10, 50, 100 fold. Not just now, but in the, but in the age to come. So I bless you, brothers and sisters, with the love of the Father, agape, into your heart. Let it go deep inside of you. That's, J that's John 4, 14. For if you believe, in will flow living water, bubbling up into eternal life. That's his agape. And then John 7, he says, and if you really believe, I think it's 738, out of your belly shall flow these rivers of agape. It comes in and out. That's when love is perfected. So Father, I pray you bring perfected love into those listening, where love can come into them and come out of them. That's when it's perfected. And I bless you as a father. I bless you as sons and daughters. I bless you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Pastor Pep, thank you so much for coming on. This was honor, man. something I needed. I think it's something everybody needed. So sorry I went a little long, but uh perfect <laughs> i cut it way down <laughs> all right all right we love you guys thanks brothers bye thank you guys so much for watching please be sure to hit that subscribe button and the notification bell so you can stay up to date with all bethel moments content